Today I want to speak to you about a message called Flashpoint. Everybody say Flashpoint. So Flashpoint is something that I want us to think about in terms as every uh, substance has a flashpoint. It has a, a point in which it will burn if it has the right components or ingredients or things there with it to ignite. And our lives should be uh, considered in that, that we would want our lives to have a flashpoint, a point where that God would ignite us and cause us to burn and do the things that he desires for us to do. And uh, every substance has a flashpoint. In, in working uh, in, inside of a hospital and stuff, uh, I know Donna works at the hospital, and if, if you go into a wound care clinic that's got a high elevated uh, oxygen content level, everything becomes more flammable. So even you gotta be very careful about what kind of curtains you have or any wood or anything else in there because the oxygen content raises, the flashpoint becomes quicker. So stuff will ignite just with a, 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 a very little spark, even uh, like a static shock can set off a, a fire. So it's something I learned when I worked at the hospital that a flashpoint can change according to the contents of oxygen and other things that would cause the flash to happen. So in our life, what is our flashpoint? Where is the point in our life that we would have God to ignite our life to cause us to act differently than what we normally do? So today as we're thinking about this flashpoint, I've, I uh, take, took this message because, you know, in, it's been 50 days since uh, Easter. And it's called Pentecost Sunday, that uh, it's penta means 50. It's the 50th day since Easter right now. Today is that 50th day. It don't seem like 50 days. It seems like just yesterday we had Easter and had the crowd and everybody wearing their little frilly dresses and all that stuff. And, but now here we are 50 days away, and it happened so quick. And the flashpoint in their life at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was that Jesus... After his resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection, that on Easter he was, he was up and he was out of the grave, and his disciples, some of them had wandered all the way back to Galilee, and he, he went all the way back up to there. They was fishing, and we know the story that he went out, and he, he spoke to them on the, on the uh, shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he told them, hey, why are you up back up here? You was just in Jerusalem for the, for the feast, you know, for Passover. And... Uh, he gets them lit back up, and it's just like all other disciples. If we stay away from Jesus long enough, we'll all grow cold. The Bible says the, wax of many, the, the love of many will wax cold. Our lives can grow cold. And when we're cold against God and grow cold against God, there's no fire, there's no passion, there's no energy, there's no uh, uh, passion to be involved in the things of God. So the more we're around Jesus, the more on fire we are. And I used to hear that all the time, you know, some people that's, well, they're really on fire for God. Where's that at today? Where's it at in the church today that somebody's on fire for God? I would desire a fire in my life. How about you? I want an ignition point. I want a flash point where that God would create in me a fire to do the things he's asked me to do. And Jesus was with his disciples, and he stayed with them for 40 more days. After his resurrection, he walked and talked, ate with them. Uh, it even says that he went through walls. When they had the door shut, you know, they was inside hiding in the upper room, and Jesus would come through the wall, and he, he come in and talked to them, and they said, you know, uh, doubting Thomas, where's, where I want to see the scars. The only way I'll believe that you're the Christ is I want to see the scars. Doubting Thomas is there, and Jesus held out his hand. 
Sometimes we can have doubts. We can have reservations and say, Jesus, I want proof. He'll give you proof. He let him touch the scars in his hands, and, and Thomas believed. If Jesus said there's going to be a group after you that's going to believe without seeing. That's called faith. It takes faith to believe when we can't see. We have to have faith. And, and as I think about that, for 40 days, Jesus walked and talked with these people. And the Bible says that there were 500 disciples that were following Jesus around during these 40 days. 500. That's a pretty good following. A church of 500 today is considered a pretty good-sized church, even in America, even with the population growth that we're in. A 500-person church is a pretty sizable church. That was Jesus' church. And he tells them, hang with me, stay with me. And on the 40th day, he's standing out there, and he's teaching on the mountain there in Jerusalem, and he, he begins to ascend. And he goes up towards the cloud, and he begins to talk to his disciples. He said, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power, with fire, a baptism of fire. Tarry in Jerusalem, stay here. And as he's taken up and he's taken away from the angels, look at him and says, why stand you gazing into heaven? The same way you see him going, the same way you'll see him return. Jesus is going to come back in the clouds. So here we have this story that 40 days they spent with him, and there's 500 of them, and he goes up away in the cloud. Next thing you know, they're standing there. What do they do? Just like every other disciple does. When Jesus is gone, they do what they want to do. They left. And Jesus told them, stay in Jerusalem. Don't leave until you get this thing that I'm promising you. But it comes the day of Pentecost, the day of fully come, Acts chapter 2, and they were in the upper room and they were praying. When they was praying, there was only 120 of them. Jesus' church in 10 days fell from 500 to 120. How many of us would be around if Jesus told us to hang out for 10 days? Think about it. What is our flashpoint? How quickly does our love wax cold? So Jesus is telling us today he wants us to have his flashpoint. And he told his disciples, but they didn't listen. They walked away, and 120 actually end up receiving the promise of the Father that day. Only 120 of them. And I went back to think about in the Old Testament, there's multiple places in the Bible that talks about fire. You, you have Samson, whenever they took his wife and ended up, you know, she was married off to somebody else, and they, they told him that they didn't think he was coming back. And, and Samson got mad, and he lit the two foxes' tails on fire. You remember the story, and he, they foxes run down through the fields and it burnt the fields of the Philistines. There's fire. There's the first place that you'll see fire in the Bible listed in the Bible is in Genesis whenever the fire destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So fire is a destructive force. So the Bible says that God is an all-consuming fire. He's all-consuming. He will consume our lives. He will burn up the things that doesn't matter in our lives if we allow him to. He won't do it by, by force. He does it by our willingness to give over things in our life to say, God, you have control of this in my life. You can do whatever you want. Burn away whatever I don't need. So this fire is here in this present. And the one I want to look at today is in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. This is the story of Elijah up on Mount Carmel that uh, Lou Engle was talking about in the video. Lou Engle standing up on the top of that mount there, Mount Carmel, in Jerusalem or in uh, uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, and he's standing on top of this mountain, and he's telling them this story. And uh, Elijah, it's amazing the story of Elijah, how that, how that fire is uh, revolved around his life. Elijah's a prophet. He's a prophet to the nation of Israel. And, and uh, God speaks to him, and the people's doing some ungodly things. They're doing some absolute ungodly things that just 
it, it's amazing to me how the, the children of God got so far away from God. But it's the same way for the church. We as children of God can walk away from God as well. We can grow cold. We can walk away. And as this is happening, as people's doing bad things, this is less than 100 years after King David. It's 90-some years into, after King David had passed away. So you got Solomon, then you got Rehoboam, and you got Jeroboam, and you got to split and divide the countries and all this thing. It's about 100 years later. People forget in 100 years. If you don't believe me, go back and read newspapers in 1915 to 1920, and it's the same headlines as there is today. It's the same. Things doesn't change. There's nothing new under the sun. So as we look at this and think about this, that it's 100 years later after King David and King Solomon had built this temple and all these great things were going on and people were hungry for God, they're on fire for God. And even as Solomon, he, he offered 100 cattle and all those things. He only had to offer one and he gave more and God come down with fire and, and great passion was inside the children of Israel. But here you are, 100 years later, people's completely given up on God. They are offering to the idol of Baal because of Jezebel, their, their queen is there. And here's what it would be like in, in terms that we could understand. It would be like me coming into a church as a priest or as a leader and taking that cross down off the wall and putting up a big Buddha. How would you feel if you come into church and I had Buddha hanging on the front of the wall? It should cause a holy anger to rise on the inside of you and say, no, that's not of God. We're not going to go that direction. What if I took a pentagram, a Satanist movement, and took down the cross and put a pentagram up there? Would it cause the holy anger to rise up on the inside of you and say, no, that's not the way the church is supposed to be. But here the children of Israel had no passion, had no fire. They had no flashpoint. They let these things happen just like that. It's craziness. I, my mind can't even fathom growing that cold against God that, we didn't, that there's no passion and no desire even to think about something like that is wrong. So as Elijah's there and God speaks to him and God tells Elijah, said, okay, that people's doing so, it's, things are going so bad in the children of Israel, I pray, I'm telling you, Elijah, I want you to prophesy that it won't rain for three and a half years. It's been a pretty wet season this year, right? It's rained a lot. There's, grass grows quicker than you can cut it. It's just amazing how fast the gardens. I see people's pictures of gardens are growing so quick. And, and people, I, I seen yesterday a, a guy was posting he's already eating broccoli out of his garden. That fast? It's amazing how quick things grow when there's water. But God told Elijah to prophesy it won't rain for three and a half years. We can't really picture that because we have bottled water. We've got water that we can get from the ground. We've got irrigation systems out in California. They go through a drought. They still have growth in their stuff because they irrigate and bring in water and pipe in water and do all these different things. But for us to understand what it's like for Elijah to prophesy that it didn't rain for three and a half years because their whole society worked off of agriculture. All you worried about was growing enough food to sustain you through the summer and save up enough to live through the winter. That's what their life revolved around. It was agriculture. So it'd be like this. God telling me to come and prophesy to everybody in America, you won't get a paycheck for three and a half years. That'd be reality, wouldn't it? What, what if God told somebody to come in, and a prophet to America, and tell Americans you've come so far away from God, God tells me to prophesy that no more paychecks for three and a half years. 
I don't know about you, but my bank account couldn't stand that. Maybe three and a half days, I'd be okay. No, three and a half years, no way. So that's what it was like for them. For three and a half years of agonizing pain, of no growing gardens, of no growing this, or no everything normal come to a halt because God had the prophet to prophesy. Three and a half years. And in the midst of that, uh, Elijah still had to go around through the community. He had still had to be involved. So he was walking through one day and, and going down through this region. And, and this widow was out on the front porch and she was crying. And, and Elijah goes by her house. And, and you know, sometimes the prophet would come by. And everybody was usually happy when the prophet would come around. But here he comes by and she started blaming him. You're the one that cursed, that prophesied, and said it won't rain for three and a half years. You've cursed the ground. And now I had a boy, a son, and because of this drought, because this is the chapter before 18, this is chapter 17. So as this happens, as, as Elijah comes by, he talks to this widow woman, and she says, now this curse that you put on the earth has caused my son to die. So Elijah says, wow. I didn't intend to bring death. I, did, I intended to bring awareness. So there's a passion rises up on the inside of him. And he says, where is the boy? She said, he's laying up there in his bed. Elijah goes up and he gets on top of the, the boy and he breathes and he speaks life into this son, this, this child of this, this widow lady. And as Elijah speaks life into this dead and dry body, life comes back in. The child comes back to life. There was resurrection prior to Jesus. Prior to Lazarus, in the Old Testament, this is Old Testament, the prophet speaking and saying, child live, and the child lives. Amen. Wouldn't that be an amazing uh, quality to have that you could speak and it would be so? The Bible says if any two or three of you agree is touching anything, it shall be done for you. What if we had faith like that? What if we had trust in God like Elijah had? What if we had a flashpoint where we said that a holy anger would arouse on the inside of us and says, I'm going to speak up when everybody else shuts up. Amen. I'm going to say something. I'm going to speak. And it may look like the child is supposed to die. It may look like it's, it's just a, a product of the environment and this drought has brought this on and we ought to just go ahead and bury him. No, I'm going to say live. What if we begin to speak life to dead things in our life? Amen. That we believe and trust God. There's a flashpoint with us. And as Elijah did this, he spoke. And then the next thing you know, it comes this three and a half year point. Now we're in chapter 18. Elijah. King Ahab. Jezebel. The temple is laying in ruins. They've got Baal temples all over Israel. Elijah comes to a flashpoint. And he goes and he talks to the king. He says, I tell you what, just go ahead and bring all the prophets of Baal out to Mount Carmel. It's time for the showdown. Bring all of them out here. And I'll show up. And they brought all these priests and all these prophets of Baal. And they all come out. Elijah tells them, it's 1 Kings chapter 18, I think verse 24. He says, the God that answers by fire, he's God. The God that answers by fire, he's the true, one true and living God. Do we know who we believe in? Do we know and trust who we believe in? Do we have faith in the God of heaven, the God of all creation? 
So here it is. comes to this point. It's a flashpoint. And as they're standing up on top of this mountain, uh, Elijah tells them, you go ahead and build your altar. You go ahead and, and put your sacrifice on it. And, and go ahead and, and begin to call out to God. You're, I'll give you the first chance. I won't go first. You go ahead and go. Isn't it saying, saying something to us that we should open the door? Amen. I, I, was, I was went out to eat with a guy just recently, wasn't too long ago, and he, he's not very godly. He's actually far from God. But I witnessed him, Ernie, when I walked out of the restaurant, and there's a little lady getting out of her car, and she was walking around to the other side of the car to get her mother, to walk, lead her mother in. She was, couldn't even hardly get around herself, but she was going around to get her mother to bring her mother in that was that much older. And this, this guy I was eating lunch with, he walked over and got the elderly lady by the arm and led her to the door and held the door open and took her in. That's a godly quality we all ought to have. That's something we ought to respect our elders. Yes. Amen? But here Elijah said, go ahead, I'll give you first shot. And Elijah gives them the first shot and they're standing up there and the Bible says they begin to cry out and they're, they're, they're uh, bellering and, and hollering, come on God of Baal, show up by fire, show that you're the true God. Crickets. Should have had a cricket sound bite made there. Second time, go ahead and try again. Maybe try again. Hey, maybe he's over there asleep somewhere. Maybe you need to holler louder so he'll wake up. And he tells them. And those prophets are like, Oh, God of Baal, please show up. Show yourself to be true. Still some crickets or a creaking floor. Why does it always creak when I'm walking on it when I want it to? Somewhere. It'll do it after I don't want it to. Okay, go ahead a third time. Third time's charm, right? So he gives them the third time. And now they, the Bible says they begin to cut themselves and they wail and they weep and they holler and they scream, hoping the God of Baal will show up and come by fire to prove that he's God. Nothing. How often does people in this life that we're living today worship things that will not answer? Whether it be cars, whether it be sports, whether it be whatever, we worship all kinds of things. Do we put them before God? I'm guilty. There's, I spend a lot of time on a lot of things that I should be spending with God. I wonder why there's no flashpoint in my life. I wonder why there's no fire, why there's no passion in my life. Maybe it's not his fault. Maybe it's my fault. Amen. It's my choice to make. So as I say this, and Elijah's telling him, and he begins to mock him, and it really bothers him. And then he finally says, you might as well just give up. It's my turn. So he says, okay. He goes over, and he builds an a, 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 a altar there, and he gets all the wood placed and positioned just right. And, he, and the Bible says he gets 12 stones, and he carries those 12 stones, and they represent the, the, the children, the tribes of the children of Israel. And even though Israel was uh, separated to this point, that there was two different kingdoms, he still put 12 stones there. And let me tell you something. You can't hold grudges and have the fire of God. Amen. So he brings these 12 stones and brings back this symbolic of unity that in God there's a, there's a unison force that when we trust God and believe God together that we're united and that we'll see God do great and mighty exploits among us. Amen. So as he brings these 12 stones there, it's just amazing to me. And he sets them down. And he, he's doing things because the Bible says if we bless Israel, he'll bless us. It says if we curse Israel, he'll curse us. 
So here they are, and, and he gets this all laid out, and he, he tells them, he says, okay, I want to go a step above and beyond. I want to make this worth it. There's no way that you can say somehow I did and hit a fire under here or done something else. He said, I tell you what, go ahead, go down there and get you a big barrel of water. Do you know how hard it is to get a barrel of water in a drought, in a desert? And he tells them, and they go down and they get this barrel of water just to prove that he didn't ignite some kind of source underneath of it. And he brings it in, and they bring it up there, and they pour it all over, and he said, okay, that looks pretty good, and, and wet wood won't burn. Amen? Anybody ever went camping and had get some old green doty wood that's just soaked up with water? It won't burn. You can't, even a fire starter won't start that stuff. There's no flashpoint. It's, it's wet. It's no good. You have to have good dry wood to burn a fire. So here Elijah, he's proven that even the, the natural can't stop God. Even science can't stop the God of heaven. He says, not only once, go back and get you another barrel. So here they go and they're back down over the hill, and they get back out to, to the lake, and they bring it back, and they pour it on there a second time. And he says, that looks pretty good. It's kind of wet now and all that, and, and those rocks are kind of wet now, and they got that ditch around it. There's a little bit of water in it. There's not enough water yet. Go get it a third time. I just want to make sure you understand who God is. They go a third time. They get another barrel of water. They bring it back, and they pour it over for the third time. And I'm sure they're sitting there thinking, who is this fool? Amen? Paul says it's full. It says in his heart there is no God. Amen? So here he's sitting there and he's looking and they're, they're, just, they're thinking there's no possible way this is going to work. And Elijah cries out one cry. He doesn't take three times. It takes one time. He said, God, prove yourself to be real. And I'm asking you to come by fire. Let this be a flashpoint in the nation of Israel that they will know that you're the God of heaven and instantly the fire comes it burns up the sacrifice it burns up the wood it burns up the altar and it licks up all the water even out of the trench and it's completely dry that's the God we serve think about that that's amazing that a God is that powerful if we're available how available do we make ourselves? The flashpoint in our life is dependent upon us. It's dependent upon us. What are we going to do? How available are we going to be to God? And he's asking us today, what is the flashpoint in your life? How much of your life do you want to give me? And let me do something with it. I'm tired of burning for my own desires. Amen? I'm tired of burning my life away and ending up with nothing in the end. I want to burn for God. How about you? Amen? This guy that was on the screen, Lou Engel, he's got a, a thing he calls the call. It's, a, it's a, a thing he had a dream, had a vision about filling a stadium with teenagers. And they was all desiring God. Not just any teenagers, but teenagers that were on fire for God. And he dreamed about this. And he had this dream, this vision. And God brought it to pass. They've had them all over. They've had them in Anaheim, California. They've had them in Kansas City. They've had them all over. They're having one this, this fall or spring. It's like July. Maybe it's July. Maybe it's summer. In Cleveland. 
They had one at Washington, D.C. on the mall. You can go back and watch some of these videos. Just amazing. Some kids on fire for God. And I went to one of them one time in Kansas City, and there's this, we went on a bus trip, and you know, you get in a, in a youth group, and we're all heading out there, and there's some of the kids that's truly uh, got a real relationship with Jesus. Some of them half-heartedly just come to church to be the cool kid to do this or do that. And, and there's a plethora of different types of people in the youth group and we're heading to Kansas City and I listen to him and I watch him and, and this boy's only really coming because it's a girl that he likes in the youth group and he's only there because of this girl and he comes and we, we're heading out to Kansas City to go to this call where that there's supposed to be some fire, some passion in some kids and we get there to Kansas City and, and it's a three day event and I'm standing there and I'm watching as, a, as a, a, a sponsor and if you've never sponsored a youth band, if you've never been to a youth camp, you ought to go I'm telling you, it's the place where if you want to get on fire, get around some teenagers. They got some energy to burn, and they'll catch you on fire, I promise you. And I witnessed this. You know, this young man, he was there. And the first night, he's kind of the cool kid, just standing around trying to look cool. And, you know, yeah, this, this is pretty good music. And, yeah, I kind of like that message. That was okay. And he's really there just for the girl. The second night of the event... I was, I was standing there on the end, and, and the presence of Jesus were so... There was over 20,000 teenagers in this Colosseum worshiping Jesus at, simultaneously at the same time. And I'm telling you, I've never felt the presence of God like I feel when I'm around teenagers. And this, these teens are just going after God. Some of them's on their knees. Some of them's just praising. Some of them's just hollering. They're just, they're just loving God. They're on fire for God. And this young boy that was trying to be this macho man, I look over Greg, and he's standing there with his head down, and tears are hitting the floor. I mean, he, could, he couldn't stop it. The fire of Jesus, a flashpoint in his life. And I just felt like, man, I need to go over and hug him. And I made my way over to him, the other kids, and I got to him, and I just put my arms around him, and and just stood there with my arm around him, and he was just weeping, his head down, tears hitting the floor. Tough guy didn't matter anymore. God flashed in his life. And he was there crying, and finally he started sobbing, and he said, you know, Ben, he said, my dad never wants anything to do with me. And all this frustration and this anger and stuff has built up. And I just feel like that God's telling me to have a relationship with my dad even though I don't want to. And as he's saying these things, man, I can just tell God is moving in this young man's life. It's a flashpoint. Why have a call? Why have a place where teenagers can meet and have a flashpoint in their life? The whole conference was worth that one. I'm sure there was a lot of other teenagers received a lot of other things from God, but the one I got to witness was that young man break in the presence of God. When is the last time you felt broken before God and allowed a fire to burn on the inside of you to say, I don't even like crying, but I'm going to cry anyway. I don't even like my dad, but I'm going to go put my arm around him and say, I love you anyway. Amen? Amen? It'll cause us to change. The presence of Jesus will change us. And I'm telling you today, there's a flashpoint. I'm just praying today is that day.
Leslie, won't you play this song? It's a video. Just watch these words for a moment, and I want you to play. servants, God. Lord, all the ones that's going and volunteering. Lord, for those the adults that are going as chaperones that are going to speak to the kids. God, I pray that you would just cause a holy fire to rise in them, God. Give them words of wisdom to speak to the kids. Give them passion. Set this church ablaze for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.